The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. First of all, it's, it's when the lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. Welcome back to another episode of From the Pink Seats podcast. I am your host, Jacob Lane of the state of Louisville.com. That is the third best local website in Louisville, according to Leo Weekly. As of today, shout out state of Louisville.com. Joined by my good friends and co-hosts, Matthew McGavick, who is making a cross-country journey right now as we speak. Maybe driving, maybe potting. I'm, I'm not sure. I definitely do not encourage this, nor do I stand by this decision. Matthew, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. For legal reasons, I cannot comment on that last statement. <laughs> uh, and of no, course, it's, it's going well. We're uh, about an hour, hour and a half outside of Albuquerque. Um, I, I can confirm just from driving past Albuquerque that it does indeed look like a boring city. Okay. Okay. But, what else? Tell me something else you learned on this, on this road trip. Arizona is beautiful. I am 100% coming back. It, we went to the Grand Canyon. We, we took a couple of detours, not going to lie. Went to the Grand Canyon, went to the Petrified Forest National Park. We stopped, we satisfied my nerdy cravings and stopped by Meteor Crater, and, and that was amazing. Did you just so, nerd out over it? Just like, oh, look at that Meteor Crater. Damn right I did. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Amazing, amazing. And as always, we're joined by Vincent Lococo. Vince, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm making some chili right now. It's simmering, and I can confirm that it looks better than Matt's. <laughs> Okay, let's have a chili conversation, Matt. But you don't get to be a part of this with your taco soup. What what's your what's your stance on chili noodle noodles in the chili? Are you a noodle guy or are you just a straight like chili soup guy? I can do either one. I'm the least picky least picky person in the entire world. Like as long as it doesn't have cucumbers and melons, like what? I'm usually good. Is that a thing? Do people has somebody ever put no, cucumber saying, melons like, in your dude, chili? Like, no, I'm saying food wise. Like okay. I, that's, like I can do I can do noodles in my chili. My mom makes a great one with Chuck. And uh, with the chug meat and dark chocolate, and it is so good. Uh, she won like a little chili cook off they had at a tailgate a couple years ago. And okay, all that's, right, that's that's a great one. And then I'm trying my first uh, little hand on white chicken chili right now. So okay, okay, I'm a big white chicken chili guy. So I, if you need a recipe, I got you over here. I got you over here, man. I'm a big okay, big variation chili guy too. I, I trust me, I like the 
any kind of different combos you can get. So it's not just regular chili all the time. I'm about it, man. I'm about it. All right. Enough chili talk. We've got a lot of good stuff to get into tonight on this week's episode. I know we are coming off of a loss and uh, one of the most frustrating losses, to be honest with you, that I've seen in quite some time. We'll get into all of that. Uh, we've got a big, the big three headlines coming up where we'll go through the biggest storylines surrounding Louisville football. Of course, we've got Vince's game notes where Vince will give us the X and O's. Uh, from the game against Virginia. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened at the end of that game, where the blame lies, Scott Satterfield, the play calling, uh, the offensive line, the defense. There's a lot of things that went wrong in that final couple of minutes uh, as Louisville squandered the lead to, to Virginia and one of the more frustrating uh, losses. Again, I can't say that enough that we've seen in quite some time. And we've had a lot of frustrating losses. Like that's a, that's a thing around here. Uh, but Saturday was uh, something else. That's for sure. So we'll get into all that. Um, so, uh, let's start with the, the interesting story of the week. You guys know that I am a sucker for college football stories, especially those with humor. A couple of weeks ago, we talked in, in depth about the uh, D's nuts stories from Alabama and Coach Saban. We talked about some other things that have happened over the last few years. But uh, I scrolled past a tweet today from Reddit College Football. Uh, and if you guys don't follow Reddit College Football, I definitely recommend it because they bring the, the funny to college football. Um, the tweet just caught my eye. And um, I'm going to just read it here. It says a reporter for the OU student newspaper used binoculars from a public building to report that Caleb Williams was doing practice with first reps. I don't know who Caleb Williams is, but he was clearly that seems to be newsworthy here in Oklahoma. Uh, he went on to say that he got quotes from Spencer Rattler's dad and Lincoln Riley has now apparently canceled all media availability. Matt, uh, I know you are a dedicated journalist, but have you ever done anything as crazy as climbing a building? I have not done something like that, but you know what? I'm, I'm not, I'm not against it. I'm not against <laughs> no i'm not against it at all that's some capital j journalism stuff right there but so you have respect for this guy oh 100 even though but he broke all of the rules i wouldn't say that but to kind of fill in the blanks for the readers the, the reason it's such a big story is because caleb williams was the quarterback that came in for spencer rattler the normal oklahoma oh, dude, starter, this, that makes it even better guided oklahoma to a win in the red river shootout the dude's yeah, like no, Caleb Williams, he was inserted when Oklahoma was down like 28-7. Or there was, it was like a three-score margin. I can't remember the exact deficit was. But he came in and led Oklahoma to a wild comfort behind victory against Texas and one of the more entertaining college football games this, this year. And so from that, Oklahoma is now better than quarterback controversies. So something like this, Matt, but Matt, 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 man, nobody can hear anything. Is the headline grabber around there? All right, Spencer Rattler. I mean, coming into the season, he was viewed as someone who. So, I muted him and he's still talking somehow. I don't know how this is happening. I'm getting to the point where I'm going to kick him off of this call if he keeps having his internet go in and out while he is in some random part of New Mexico. Vince, let me ask you this. We talked a little bit. He dropped off the call here. Great stuff. We'll see if he gets back in. I don't know if I'm going to let him back in. Um, because I don't encourage potting and driving. I'm going to be just quite honest with you. Like I, I love the dedication. We got a tough guy alert here. But I, I can't deal with him driving and doing podcasting. But let me ask you this on the Oklahoma thing. Have you ever been a part of the Louisville program where something crazy like that happened in, in the prime? Like you all see somebody on the top of a building or something stops practice. Was there ever any like interesting practice stories from your time there? Nothing quite like a reporter climbing a, uh, a pole to see who was going to be our starting quarterback. 
I know everybody remembers in 2019, we had the comp uh, quarterback competition battle between Puma and Malik, and nobody really knew right there. That would have been kind of ample opportunity for someone to do that, but not during my time. I have some interesting stories, some funny ones, like you text me about, Jacob. Uh, one of those that, came, that comes to mind uh, actually came from Robbie Bell. All three of them did, and all three of them actually involved Coach Ledford. Funny Robbie enough. seems to be your story plug. That's who you go to when you need a quick Robbie story. Robbie and I roomed, we roomed together. I mean, we know damn near everything about each other, and yeah, he's definitely the guy. If I need like a memory refresher, that's that's my go-to every time. But I remember after he mentioned it that uh, Coach Ledford on Thursdays—that's a walkthrough day—he likes to uh, the last couple series when we're going through situational stuff, like taking a knee, throwing the ball out of bounds to kill some, just some different things. Uh, but we move all the scout team off, and we allowed like Coach Ledford would be out there doing a, a pass rush against Makai. And it was the funniest thing ever because you'd see big old Coach Ledford trying to do these moves, spin moves on Makai Becton, future first-round draft pick and everything. But one day Makai kind of like, I guess, nodded his head a little bit to the rest of the line. So everybody kind of tuned in a little bit. And, uh, you know, he popped Coach Ledford. <laughs> he popped him and put him on his butt. And uh, – <laughs> As soon as Robbie texted me that, I was like, oh, man, like that, that was great. I remember that we were dying. I mean, I probably hadn't laughed harder during a practice, except for whenever him and Carwell went in during an 11 on 11 period and decided to play offensive line for a couple plays or a series or two just to get some contact. In. I mean, that is amazing. That's stuff. amazing. And also not surprising that Coach Lever, I mean, he looked like he could put a helmet on and go out there and play left tackle if needed. Like, the guy's got offensive line still written all over him. You know, like some offensive line, like Robbie, right? Robbie, for example, you know, they lose the weight. They're skinny, skinny Robbie out here. There's no skinny Dwayne. Dwayne is just buff and bulk at all times. He's ready to step in whenever the Falcons have injury. Like, I could totally see him being the first ever coach lineman um, at the same time. I mean, it's it's yeah, very realistic possibility. All right, let's jump into the big three. I know that that headline had nothing or that story had nothing to do with Louisville, but I just thought it was hilarious uh, knowing what I know about Matt and the, the, the link that Matt will go to get a scoop uh, that this fellow climbed a, uh, this fellow or, or young lady climbed a building to get the scoop on who would be playing quarterback on Saturday for Oklahoma. All right, let's go to the big three. Big, 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 big three. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big three. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big three headlines surrounding Louisville football. Uh, we're going to go to the Louisville report, although our Louisville report deputy editor is currently driving and cannot read the headline for me. I will take care of it for him because I'm a good friend like that. Inefficient play calling, complacency reappear to doom Louisville. You obviously know by now Louisville lost on Saturday 34 to 33 uh, to Virginia in what was, again, a frustrating loss for many of reasons. Uh, Louisville held a lead late into that game. Um, and the same issues we saw against Florida State, against Ole Miss at, at different times of, of the Central Florida game, Louisville reverted back to form, started running the ball on second and third and long, um, couldn't make the, the short yardage gains that they needed to put the game away on that final drive. Um, there was some questionable play calling uh, in terms of the field goal that Louisville kicked late. Um, had they tried to go for it there, uh, you know, never know what could happen. Potentially locks the game up and shuts it down. But instead, Brennan Armstrong brings uh, Virginia back and 
Uh, what are our thoughts, guys? Like, what's your initial thought? I don't want to spend too much time on this because we're going to dive into the game here shortly. But just quickly, what was your takeaway from this game? First of all, can you actually hear me? <laughs> yes, we can hear you just fine. Although you do sound like you're on Mars. I mean, that distracts. But anyways, a lot of people have, you know, taken up about the conservative play calling, and I don't blame them. But I think in, in this particular game, it didn't really come down so much to the conservative nature of some of their adjustments in the second half, which, I mean, that did play a role. Don't get me wrong. But to me, it was more so of the situational play calling more so than anything. Because, I mean, going into the second, the start of the second half, you could already see that, you know, Scott Satterfield is starting to run the ball more so than pass. It's something he's done in the last couple games. But in that third quarter, it worked. I mean, they put up 20 unanswered points. Hassan Hall ran absolutely wild. Malik looked sharp. And then on the defensive side of things, they got a, a pair of interceptions. I mean, they, they didn't go full-blown three-man rush at that point. They're, they're putting instances of a uh, – sprinkling it between plays and whatnot and you know things were, were firing but then you get into that fourth quarter and some of the the plays that would normally be run that were firing in the third quarter stopped working in the fourth but then Satterfield didn't want to abandon that sort of game plan that he already established in the third quarter something that kind of came to my mind was the fourth and five somewhere around like the UVA 25 30 somewhere there I mean, the, the offense is, is cooking at that point. The defense had already given up 14 straight points. And then at that opportunity there, Satterfield opts to, you know, kick the field goal, which, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but considering how poor the defense had performed in the last 15, 20 minutes of game time, you can make the argument that he should have gone for the field goal there. And then on the defensive side of things, they went almost completely towards the three-man rush, and Brian Brown was playing the pseudo prefit defense. And, I mean, I know it's a tired football trope, but, I mean, there's some truth in it. The prevent prevents you from winning, and that's exactly what happened. The, the coaching staff as a whole is, in the last three games, in the second half of games, or, you know, towards the, the, the winding down part, have opted to play not to lose rather than to play to win. Yeah. And almost, and, and every single time, it, it's bitten them. Well, it didn't bite them in the Florida State game, but it almost did. Almost did. Park doesn't get that interception towards the end of the game. I mean, who knows what happens there? And we saw it happen against Wake. We saw it happen against Virginia. The conservative approach doesn't didn't bother me as much in that game, but just certain nitpicky situations did. Now, did the the play not to lose approach bite them? Yes, but it, it didn't. It wasn't a game a game long problem, if you ask me. Well, what, sure, Vince. What do you think, man? Hop in here. So, with Coach Petrino, we used to do the saying. He he called it run to win, and it's kind of like whenever you get in a situation, you need to get a first down to run the clock, things like that. Uh, it That's what it kind of felt like Coach Satterfield and those guys were trying to do when they dialed back the play calling and went more conservative, but they did it at a far too early of a time period. You're not going to kill 15 minutes off the clock. Go score. Keep the foot on the throat. Take some shots deep. You, I mean, you never know. They're, they're not expecting you to go deep. They're expecting you to revert back to these – you know, old, boring offense that the inside zone, outside zone to the death of you. You know, I would, we almost connected with Tyler Harrell for a touchdown on one of those deep balls. Imagine if we would have done that again, but Tyler catches it this time. That was a hard ball for him to catch in that situation. The, the game as a whole is frustrating for a number of reasons. But for me, I think it's that for three weeks now, we've seen Malik Cunningham make the play. 
We've seen him make the play when given the opportunity. But for some reason, when the game is on the line, Scott Satterfield does not trust him. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's that he just believes his run game and with the running back is the way to go about it. I don't know if that, you know, he thinks that the defense is going to be prepared for the, I don't know what it is, but it it just seems that at the end of these games, Malik is not getting the opportunity to do the same thing that he's done when they've gotten out of a ahead. I mean, his game against Wake Forest, we, we've talked about how impressive that was. I mean, he, he follows that up with 270 through the air, 17 to 25 and 85.3 QBR. Um, you know, I, I know the numbers aren't necessarily the sexiest, especially when you look at Brennan Armstrong. But I mean, the, the guy was efficient. He made plays. Um, and I, and I, I get the running thing. Like, I get that Hassan Hall is, is hot. Then give him the ball. Right. I mean, did they did they not go to Jalen Mitchell late? I mean, it seemed like every carry I watched was going to Jalen Mitchell. So it doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I, I heard somebody say on the radio this week that Scott Satterfield is too polite to to win with a lead. I, I'm almost at the point where I might agree with that because this is crazy, man. I mean, we get to the point where you're winning by 17 and you're just too nice. Like I want to see Louisville put their their foot in somebody's necks, and we have not seen that yet. Until we do, I don't know what's gonna happen. Let's move on. Headline number two here. Uh, from streaking the lawn, Brennan Armstrong wins, uh, or excuse me, Brennan Armstrong earns ACC quarterback of the week honors. It's hard to not give him these, this award considering his numbers, 40 of 60, 60 passing attempts in a single game is one of the craziest things I've ever heard of 487 yards through the air, three touchdowns. He did throw those two picks. Um, what'd you guys think of his performance for me? It looked to me like he could just get whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, and he knew it. Well, to me, for me, oh, go ahead, go ahead, man. For me, it seemed like, you know, anybody can sit back there and pick a team apart when you're rushing three. Uh, I mean, Armstrong is a good quarterback, and he's going to complete those balls whenever you're not bringing any type of pass rush. Whenever you we did bring a pass rush, yeah, we might have gotten beat here and there on the outside by the corners and stuff. But more times than not, there was somebody getting home. We had pressure in his face. He was uncomfortable throwing the ball, which is what I was highlighting last week, that we just need to get pressure on him to force him to make these bad decisions. And, you know, a lot of times those bad decisions kind of played in our favor. We got those two interceptions. And then, you know, if uh, Q Cole could have got that last one, we would have been good. What do you think, Matt? And, and not to take anything away from Brennan Armstrong, because obviously he's a tremendous talent. It's not like that one game, you know, boasted his overall national stats, because he was already a pro passer heading into that game. But when given the defense that Louisville was kind of throwing at him, I know the, the thought, Satterfield's thought process with the three-man rush is that you rush three, but then you got eight on the back end, not completely on the back end, but eight guys in coverage. In theory... Brennan Armstrong should have tight windows all over the field because you've got so many guys that are dropping back playing the pass. But there were so many opportunities in that game where the nearest defender from any wide receiver was five, seven yards away. I mean, there were some times where defensive backs or linebackers were on the hip of receivers and receivers were making plays, but there were more often than not, a lot of these wide receivers were finding massive holes in the zone, which is head-scratching to me, considering how many people were playing back into coverage. It's, it, it, it almost seems counterintuitive because it's, the three-man rush is not working. I mean, you're, you're using the three-man rush to drop guys back, but the guys who are dropping back aren't doing their job. I mean, the secondary as a whole, 
I mean, the sum of the sum is not equal to the parts in this case because Hashon Clark, he's been playing pretty decent football. The last couple of games, he's had some moments. Uh, to Derek Duncan and Q Cole, they've they've played well at times, but there have been some times where they've been pretty bad. Yeah. Reed Vance has looked better in the last couple of games, but he it took a, a few games for him to warm up. And Chandler Jones, he has been extremely disappointing in times. He he's had a couple of games and a couple of plays where he's looked good, but. He hasn't lived up to what we thought he was going to, and but and when you put all of that together, the secondary has really, really struggled, and it, it's kind of shocking to me considering this secondary. I know, granted, there are some guys left as new guys came in and whatnot, but this was a secondary who allowed the 17th least passing yards in all of FBS a year ago, and now they're just getting roasted and toasted on a weekly basis. And we're going to look at this a little bit closer, at least I hope so, in Vince's game notes coming up here right after we get out of the big three in our final headline. But um, I, I just I, I'm curious of what the difference is between last season and this season with the secondary. You mentioned new players, but we've talked about you almost added by subtracting Russ Heese and uh, Isaiah Hayes, not to be disrespectful, but. I think we both we all agree here that the safeties that they have now just present more opportunities for playmaking, um, but yet somehow they're they're just not to the part at the, the level that they were at last year, um, and so that's going to be the the biggest narrative I think as we go forward. The biggest storyline is can Louisville secondary get it back together? All right, third headline from BaltimoreRavens.com headline reads Lamar Jackson has only one more narrative to slay. Uh, if you watch Monday night against the Colts, one of the most impressive performances I'm going to say in NFL history, I'm just going to be quite honest with you. It was spectacular, spectacular. Lamar Jackson goes 37 of 43, six interceptions on 40 or excuse me, incompletions on 43 attempts, 442 yards, four touchdowns. He's only sacked twice. Runs for just 62 yards, just 62 yards. I know that's a lot for a quarterback for Lamar Jackson. That's nothing. Throws uh, 11 completions to Mark Andrews, nine to Hollywood Brown, 147 yards and two touchdowns for Andrews, 125 and two touchdowns for Brown. This is the, the game that shut up a lot of people about Lamar Jackson uh, Jackson's passing. But let me ask you this question, guys. Is all of this, in your opinion, just national? We obviously are always just in awe with Lamar Jackson. But do you guys think this is just white noise to the people who are criticizing him um, until he wins the Super Bowl? The, 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 the point of the story goes on to say that Lamar Jackson's one last thing to accomplish is winning a Super Bowl, considering what he's done. I, I just wonder, you know, all these big number games that he puts up, if it's white noise to everyone out there until he does win that Super Bowl. What do you all think? I mean, it's something we kind of discussed about last time. Um, Lamar Jackson, he just doesn't fit what many people, whether that be fans, casual observers, people in NFL circles, he doesn't fit the the normal mold, what you come to expect out of a quarterback. And like I said last week, people have a hard time accepting that, accepting that whether it's, you know, purely due to on the field reasons or beyond that. I mean, I'm I'm trying to be – coded in what I mean here, but I mean some you kind of get what I'm throwing down here. Sure. But until until he actually goes out and wins a Super Bowl for Baltimore, I think Lamar is still going to continue to hear some of these and, and even at that point, who's to say that there's they're not people who just simply don't like Lamar Jackson aren't going to find some other narrative to kind of skew in their favor. I unfortunately it, it's kind of gotten to the point where I think Lamar Jackson 
no matter what he does, no matter what he accomplishes, no matter what accolades he he gets or what at records he breaks, unfortunately, I just think there's always going to be something that people are going to want to bring up about him. It's it's, it's unfortunate. It sucks for him. But given all he has accomplished in just what this is fourth, fifth year in the NFL, and yeah. people are still trying to figure ways, figure out ways to just kind of, you know, crap on him and his game. I just, I don't see it ending no matter what he does, even if it means he's hosting, hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And, I, and Vince, where you hop in here, here's what I'll say. This, and this is going to sound crazy when I say, it, but just understand where I'm coming from. You talk about Lamar Jackson, the criticism. Lamar Jackson is the NFL's equivalent to LeBron James. No matter what he does. Whether he wins by five million or he wins by one, loses by a million, loses by one. It's never going to be good enough. In the age of social media where opinions are like assholes, everyone has one, they are out there. And everyone is going to continue to criticize Lamar Jackson always until the end of time. It's the same thing with LeBron. We have these conversations about how many titles until LeBron is the go and how many titles you have to lose to not be. I mean, it's just crazy. The, the criticism is going to continue to build for Lamar. Um, and even when he wins the Super Bowl, I mean, it's going to be who knows what. Like, I mean, like you said, they're just always pulling things out of their ass to criticize him for. Those naysayers are always going to be there. Lamar can win six Super Bowls and people are still going to be talking about, oh, well, remember that game against such and such where he couldn't do this and that? He wasn't that efficient throwing the ball and had to win it, run it. I don't care. In my opinion, and I truly believe this from the bottom of my heart, Lamar Jackson will go down as the best player to ever step on a football field. I mean, dude, I, 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 brought, I don't, I don't know. I'm that you're with me, Jacob, but I'm there's, with you, man. So many, there's millions and millions of people out there who <laughs> don't believe that. And I think they're fools. I remember when he got subbed in against Kentucky, his freshman year, I text all my buddies. Cause I had just been at practice watching, uh, watching their, uh, watching them do their thing and everything. And, uh, I was like, here comes your next Heisman trophy winner. Oh, bullshit. Get out of here. You swear didn't God, say that. I swear Get out of here. I swear Get out of here. God. Swear everybody God. said it stop it no, you didn't no, say it. i promise okay. I, was, I had just committed i had just committed that week and everybody was giving me grief and everything yeah so we had season tickets to uk years prior yeah <laughs> i've got so many jokes i want to make to that but i want to get going here for the sake of time i want to get to the best segment in sports vince's game notes um but i do want to leave on this how about marquise hollywood brown baby my fantasy team boy we going to the championship hey i'm those footballs when it matters baby I'm with you, Jacob. I was down 35 going into tomorrow or going into last night. And, uh, you know, Lamar and Hollywood Ravens defense did not help me out at all. Man, I, 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 I don't want to talk about I, I don't want to talk about how bad my fantasy team did, did this week. But I have Lamar on my team. He got me 49 fantasy points and I still got my ass clapped. I was in the, going into that game. I was losing like 116 to 35. This is one of those years where my fantasy team is just always hurt, man. Like, I've got Christian McCaffrey, David Montgomery, Michael Gallup, Calvin Ridley, Rob Gronkowski. All of those guys are hurt right now. Why would you draft Christian McCaffrey? That's that's another day. We'll yeah, well, we'll get the answer to that coming up on Vince and Matt's fantasy podcast coming soon. All right, let's jump into the best segment in sport, Vince's Game Notes. It's time to get down to brass tacks. It's Vince's Game Notes with Vincent Lococo. Vince, what do we got this week, man? I know there's a lot of people who want to know about the X's and O's, what happened, especially late down the game, what happened early to make everything work for Louisville's offense, what didn't work in the second half. Give it to us, man. 
So early on, obviously, the first play of the game, we open up with a deep shot to Tyler Harrell. I mean, beautiful route by Tyler. That route is um, – he started out in the slot. That's what you all have been seeing Tutu do the past two years, basically, where he's reading the safety, and if the safety's high, he's going to go underneath and break the route off, you know, in front of him, or if the safety comes down a little bit, he's going to wrap it, like, right there behind him. It was, a, it was a great route by Tyler. It was awesome to see him execute that and go score another touchdown and everything. Uh, it seemed like we were still taking a lot of – Early on in the game, it seemed like we were taking a lot of shots. We were feeding Hassan, feeding Hassan, feeding Hassan, and then everybody knows we got stagnant. I'm not sure why we went stagnant, but Coach Satterfield, like I had mentioned earlier, seemed like he went into run-to-win mode a little bit too early opposed to, you know, foot on the throat, let's score as many points as we can right here, which I don't understand. I wish he was the opposite way, especially in that game and against Florida State where he's like, you know what, people were talking about me not being able to do this, that, the other, or us not being able to – you know, secure that big win. Like, I'm, I'm going to keep putting the points up and I'm going to send a message to the rest of the ACC that, you know, Louisville's here. This isn't the 2019, 2020 cards. This isn't cards of years past. We, we came to put up points and, and we mean it. We're back. So it, it was just very frustrating watching them on the offensive side. It was awesome seeing Hassan have his breakout game. Yeah, and man. Looked back, healthy. Bounce back. That was yeah. awesome. Great to see. But I hate that it came during a loss. And, I'm the complete opposite of how you were saying, Jay. I don't know how Coach Satterfield feels about Malik in those late games. And it kind of seems the way with which you're speaking where he doesn't really trust him that much. I'm not sure. I'm not in those meeting rooms or anything like that. What I see as a fan now is I want the ball in Malik Cunningham's hands during those times and during those situations. He's a gamer. That dude, I mean, he he ranks – he's tied with Brian Brom now for most – touchdowns accounted for by a Louisville Cardinal like he has 80 touchdowns that's accounted crazy. for. I mean we're blessed with this quarterback and he's yeah. not that far off from Lamar's 115 or whatever do you want the ball in Man, his can hand? you can you imagine if Lamar Jackson never came to Louisville like what kind of good graces Malik Cunningham would be like in terms of Louisville lore I mean he'd have to yeah. be up there yeah definitely so, and we were talking about the defense and the three-man rush. We all know that the three-man rush is not working. It's not going to work, nor is it ever going to work, anything like that. I have all throughout my notes right here. I was really – I was going to try and count it up and see how many times we did it, but it just became too much. So, I just went with rush four, incomplete. Rush four, complete, tough coverage. Rush four, incomplete. Rush four, incomplete. And I just kept going and kept going, yeah. and you just kept seeing – you know, rush three, complete, rush three, complete, rush three, complete. And, you know, you think dropping eight people, we'd be better in coverage, but it seemed like there was a lot of miscommunications between the guys out there. I think back to one play where I I see Kendrick and the corner, can't remember which corner, but they were clearly, you know, chirping back and forth. Who's got this? What's like, who messed up here? Kendrick's hitting his hands like, come on, you got to be there. You got to sink to it. You got to sink to it because he hit that sweet honey hole between the safety and the corner right there. Oh, oh, the sweet honey hole. Okay. Yeah, the little sweet that's honey. Little... <laughs> that, that's, this podcast. that's this episode's title right here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Y'all are hilarious. <laughs> what, what was it? The sweet honey spot? Why'd you just? I, yeah, I, lost I call it, it the honey hole. The honey hole. All right, yeah, man. That's such a pretty spot, though. It's right between the corner and the safety where they don't drop. It's uh, where the corner's not going to drop a sink back far enough, and you can get pretty good yards, possibly make a move on the safety and go score. But we had every opportunity before we even get to the kick. JT, I was watching his kicks 
and I really paid attention to it. He pushed right on his first one. So to over he he was overcorrecting the whole game, the whole rest yeah. of the game. You go back and watch. He pushed the second one left, pushed the third one, uh, pushed the third one left, and then the last one obviously was a little bit deeper than the others. He tried to get more leg into it and just pushed it way too far. Nothing against JT. I'm not going to hold that over his head. I've lost numerous games to a kicker where it's truly the kicker's fault. This one was not JT's fault. Granted, he did miss the kick because we had uh, – let me see here. We had the Q Cole interception that was dropped. Tyler Harrell dropped that uh, touchdown pass. Uh, what else? There was a couple other plays. I'm struggling to – Yeah. Both of those plays right there would have just sealed the deal for us and got us to win. If a Q Cole would have got that interception, yeah. boom, here we go. Three weeks in a row. Carr's got an interception, last play of the game to shut everything down. Tyler yeah. Harrell catches that deep ball. He might not have scored, but I guarantee you we would have got more points on the board or potentially would have scored right there. It's it's just frustrating when you leave points out there on the board. Yeah. X's and O's wise, guys, it's it's pretty much in front of our face. We got to quit three man rushing. No reason. I said it last week. Yasir Abdullah should ever be dropping into the flats. He's our best pass rusher. And if you set him up with picks where you're not so much trying to get Yasir to rush the passer, you're setting up that nose tackle or somebody else wrapping back around it. So there's definitely some stuff in there that we can correct. The good thing, the positive note, guys, it is all fixable. It's not okay. like I want to see it fixed. I, as do you know I, who else said it was fixable? You're going to like this one. You know who else said it was fixable? Bobby said it was fixable. Every week he said it. He said it every week. We just got to go out there and practice harder. Like, Scott's one quote away from that right there, man. I'm telling you right now. Like, I get it. I get it. It's fixable. That's great. All right, so you got a bye week. You got a full week and a half to prepare. So that means if they come back out there and they keep doing the same thing, we're going to be having a, a lot different conversation because that just means to me you don't get it. You just don't get it as a head coach at that point that you can't win like that. Um, and the, that's the, what they that's what they do this whole bye week, too, is that they'll, they'll go back and they will self-scout. And they need to – I don't even think there really needs to be any self-scout evaluation done. You can yeah. see the writing's on the wall right there, fellas, of what all is going on and why we're losing ball games. Can I ask it's you a question? Right can yeah. I ask you a, just a question about Scott Satterfield's personality? And I'm not asking you to – to give me the inside scoop on Scott Satterfield's life, but is he a guy who accepts criticism? Is he oh, a yeah. guy who understands when he's wrong? Oh yeah. Mo, mo, what mo, am I not getting here? I don't get it. How do you do this so many times in a row? I don't understand when your offense, I mean, it, it's a, it'd be different if like their passing attack wasn't good and they just weren't playing well, but Malik is lighting it up out there. You hit Tyler Harrell for a 91 yard play on the first play of the game. Yeah. And at the end of the game, we're trying to run the football in places where it makes no sense. I don't get it. And Tyler only had one other target outside of that. He had two two receptions for 100-something yards. Well, he got – excuse me. We threw the ball to him twice more after that 90-yard touchdown play. It was the incompletion, and he caught one. Two yeah. receptions, 100-something yards. Like, that's what Randy Moss did with the Vikings. Like, he had three receptions for 140-something. Like, you could have had Tyler Harrell doing putting up those numbers. Tyler probably could have put up 200-something against these DBs. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, crazy. You're definitely right. And it's uh, Virginia and Wake Forest. For the last two years, there's been a lot of football people who point out how much faster Louisville is in those two teams. You have to take advantage of it where it is. I mean, we're not going to outspeed Miami. We're not going right. to outspeed Clemson. Right. You know, those are two completely different games. Wake Forest and Virginia – 
those are teams we can outspeed. Like those are yeah. teams where we got better players than them. For sure. And I, I do want to this year you might be able to outspeed Clemson. <laughs> You, you might, man. We might be able to beat Clemson, just us three. I mean, that's the worst Clemson team I've seen in 10 years. I mean, not really. I can't play football for shit. But it feels good. It feels yeah. good to be talking, having that conversation, guys, where, you know. It would feel like, a lot better a if Kentucky wasn't 6-0. and I tell you that. Clemson yeah. sucks and Kentucky's not 6-0. and We're talking about, all right, maybe this isn't that bad. I do want to point out one positive thing. I feel like. Sometimes I'm too negative uh, about Louisville because, you know, I, I agree with you, Vince. It's fixable. Good football players can put this film on and see where they're out of position. We saw um, improvement from from Duncan in game from, from Wake Forest, Virginia. I'm not so sure I'm willing to say that Q Cole improved. I saw a lot of missed opportunities out there again to the point that I was like, man, I don't understand what's happening here. But hold on. I want to say one thing. I want to give a shout out to two people, okay? One of which is Mason Ryger, all right? Because this man's about to go down with one tackle on the season and one sack. It's amazing. It's, and the dude came flying through the, the offensive line, looked like freaking J.J. Watt out there to the point I'm like, who is that guy? Uh, so there's that. And then I also want to give a shout out to Trey Franklin. He got burned, uh, I think it was against Wake Forest, real bad. I think on a, I don't want to, I don't know if it was a touchdown play, but to bounce back and get that interception, he was a late signee, a Juco guy. Um, I know that there's been a lot of criticism about Scott Satterfield taking these these guys who maybe don't have any business playing, but he made a nice play on the ball. He showed that he's a guy that can make a play when given the opportunity. So kudos to those two guys for stepping up and making plays. Now we just need more of it. That That's the bottom line. Um, I want to move into the final part of the show here. I don't think we're going to get to the position grades. Um, I've got a date at Roosters tonight calling my name. Uh, that's me in a, in a, in a tall but light waiting for me right now at Roosters. Uh, but I want to talk about where the blame goes on this game because, um, you know, I, I get that coaching football is not easy. Um, I, I understand that there are a lot of good football coaches and um, just because you've got a head coach who can make adjustments doesn't mean that they're going to get the best of the, the guy on the other side of the field. I don't necessarily know if Bronco Mendenhall outcoached Scott Satterfield in this game. I also don't necessarily know if you can blame Scott Satterfield for a lot of the issues that they had. I think that for just as much blame as you can put on Scott Satterfield, you can put on Brian Brown, but I'm going to ask this question. Where's the blame go? Cause the blame has got to fall on somebody here. Is it the head coach take the sword? Is it Brian Brown? Because he continued to do things that just didn't make any sense. Somebody needs to take the blame here. And I want to know what you guys think who it is. Well, I, I think it, 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 it starts with Satterfield because, you know, he's the head of everything and it trickles down. But, I mean, I don't think there's just one person or one group that takes, like, you know, close to the sole responsibility of the blame. Because, you know, we've talked that nauseam about how the coaching staff has, you know, executed, you know, play not to lose mode way too early and things of that nature. But, I mean, I'm, I'm you know me, I'm not the kind of guy that wants to play his blame on players. But – I'm going to a little bit right now because for they get three paid now. Games, well, Don't that, forget that. We can criticize them just a little bit more because they get paid now. But for three straight games, and it's been a different person every time, so it's not just one position group that's doing it. Yeah, the coaching staff goes into play not to lose mode, but then the players themselves also get a little bit complacent. I mean, there's it's been a different guy from a different position group every time. And it, it really struck me when I asked Justin Marshall about it after that Virginia game, because I asked if players maybe got complacent. And I was really hoping to, that he would just say no or, you know, give a 
the coach speak answer from player, but he was straight up honest. He said that they got complacent. And one one time has happened since two times coincidence, three times a pattern. And now that's three three games in a row now where not only has the coaching staff, you know, gone super conservative when they are probably doing it a little bit too early, but now the players themselves are kind of doing the same thing on the field. Yeah. So when I don't think one I truly think not one person, not one player, not one coach takes all the blame. I mean, do some do others kind of share more blame than others? Sure. But this is a total systems I don't want to say total systems failure because like we said, it's a lot of stuff that's fixable. But at some point the fixable stuff actually has to get fixed. And we've seen like similar symptoms over the last three games of stuff that we that we can see needs fixing and it doesn't look like it's getting fixed. Now thank God the bye week's here and Scott Satterfield himself said that they're gonna do some, you know, some soul searching, you know, harp on the good, but then like take out with the, what bad they're doing. I mean, he didn't really go into explicit detail there, but I would hope that they would just really sit down as coaches, really look at some of the game film and just try and dissect what is truly not working. Cause I mean, I know like Vince played, Vince played, but you, me and you, Jacob, we didn't play, but we can see what is going on and why, why things are not going the way they should be. And I would hope that, Satterfield and the rest of that coaching staff can have some inkling as to what is going wrong, but considering it's happened for three straight games now, do they do they know what's going wrong? Yeah, I, that, I, I truthfully don't know. That's point. a great question, and and here's what I'll say to that: um, there's a lot still on the on the table for Louisville. I still think they can get seven wins, probably now. I think eight is probably out of the question unless you pull off an upset. Um, but more likely Louisville's probably looking at five or six wins. Um, and if that's the case, I don't think you can fire Scott Satterfield. And I'm not even going to say you need to. Uh, but what I think is going to end up happening and what I think we're going to find out the answer to this over the next couple of weeks is, is the rest of his staff good enough? Are they good enough at each position to go out on the practice field and improve these issues? Because Vince, if, if that's what you're telling me should take place, because they see it on on the film, if it doesn't carry over from the practice field or from the field, from the from the film to the field to the game, that's a coaching problem, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. And I'm I'm not going to ask you for your opinion on that. I don't. I know there's a lot of feelings there, um, but I'm just saying from a simple standpoint, if you you know what it is and you can't fix it, it means you're not good enough to coach at that level. And that's the thing we're going to have to to um, kind of find out because again, I don't think Scott Satterfield is going to get fired no matter what the fans want. I think the more likely situation is that their staff changes. Um, and if, if there's going to be any avoiding that, Scott Satterfield's staff needs to prove right now from the defensive coordinator to the offensive line coach to the defensive the defensive line coach, special teams across the board, that they can get better with some of the, the minor issues that are keeping them from winning football games. Scott Satterfield said it, and I know it sucks to hear, but the, we, we talked about this several weeks ago about how much I don't like him telling saying this, but it's right. It's the same thing as last year, man. They're like three plays away from being five and one. Like, I mean, it's frustrating as that is, but they're also like three plays away from being one in five. So it goes both ways. And at the end of the day, if they don't come back out of this bye week and show improvements to these simple things, the narrative changes on whether or not the, the support staff are, is good enough to make this work. I, I mean, that's the bottom line. And that's what we're going to find out. Is this the most frustrating game that you guys have watched in a while? For me, it was. I mean, I just, 
it seemed like every time Louisville did something good, Virginia did something twice as good. And, and Louisville had to work is twice as hard to get what they got compared to Virginia. And that just seems like the, the narrative of Louisville football the last few years. Work harder than you have to to get a, not enough to win. For me, this was hands down. I mean, I'm a fan, so I'm a fan now. So this is my only, you know, tough, really, 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 really tough loss as a fan. But as a fan, yes, this is my hardest loss. As a play, as playing and coaching, yeah, I mean, losing to Kentucky at any point is definitely my harder of the harder of the losses. But it's it sucked to see, and as, like you all, like you have been saying, you you don't really know who to place the blame on because everybody shares the blame at this point. You know, players are showing up when coaches aren't. Coaches are showing up when players. It's just it's a mess right now, and uh, it's it's frustrating. I've definitely left that stadium more. Yep. probably more angry than anybody else around there because I know a lot of the guys out there on the field and I know that they should have won that game. Yeah. I, I can't disagree with you. I saw somebody share a, a video of the, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the like 22nd clip of the like eighth grade football player giving his team like a pep talk. And he's like, y'all did everything. Y'all did everything. It's not on y'all. It's on the coaches. And that's how I, that's what it felt like on Saturday, leaving that stadium. And I, I, I think um, just looking ahead quickly as we wrap up here, Boston College, very good team, sound. Jeff Halfley, I've got a football coach crush on Jeff Halfley. I've told you guys this. I think he's an NFL coach and waiting. It's only a matter of time. But okay, Boston man. College doesn't have their quarterback. They're not what we kind of – I mean, they're, they're good. Don't get me wrong. But they're not the, the best team in the ACC. This is a game that Louisville should win. I mean, they're, they're playing their backup quarterback whose first name is Dennis, Okay. Uh, if you can't beat a quarterback whose name is Dennis, then get out of here. You have no business being on the field. But I think they can beat BC. Uh, but it's going to definitely tell us a lot about what to expect the final few games of the season. All right, Matt, where are we at? Where What's our what's our location right now? Uh, we are about two and a half hours away from Amarillo, Texas. Amarillo, Texas. Well, beautiful. Where, where are you guys stopping next? What's the next site that you're going to see on your tour back to Louisville? That is a great question. This is probably a play play it by ear type thing. Okay. <laughs> I, I like I wasn't, it. Lazy I, River. We weren't planning on stopping. Yeah, we weren't planning on stopping a meteor creator, but I saw that sign on the highway. And I'm like, yeah, we're going. <laughs> okay. Well, you guys drive safe. I don't want to hear you on any more shows, podcasts. You better not be writing articles while you're driving. I expect that. I expect you to be on your best behavior because you need to get Kara home. That's that's the thing. Both Kara and Taco. Don't worry. That's that's going to happen. <laughs> All right. Well, we are wrapping things up here. We appreciate you guys continuing to tune in. Uh, for those of you who um, have supported the state of Louisville and all the podcasts that we have, have done here, we really appreciate it. Uh, you can continue to subscribe, like, do all those things that we ask you to do wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to check off Off the Walls, the newest state of Louisville podcast just dropped today with an interview with Coach Jeff Walls of the Louisville Women's Basketball Program. Great listen. Go ahead and check that out. And as always, give these guys a follow on Twitter at Matt underscore McGavick. I've gotten that right the last few days. Really proud of myself. And then, of course, at Vincent Lacoco, you can follow me at JacobLane08. We'll catch you next week as we look forward to Boston College. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.